Hey, Kyle. You shared some insights into the process of your mental recovery after your injury on your recent podcast with Dr. Hansen. Coincidentally, we both broke our ulna and radius. Um, I broke mine about six months ago and had two plates put in. Uh, still left with a fair amount of trauma in my arm, something you had also alluded to, and have a lot of sensitivity around the incisions. The physical therapy sessions were you know, integral in the beginning of my rehab, but given the current climate, I've started similar exercises at home. I'm wondering what your physical th therapy timeline look like. Um, do you have any tips on mobility with the wrist and strength slash durability um, in the forearm? Well, I can hold a push-up position with my arms extended. I can't do a full push-up without my forearm feeling a great amount of pain, especially on the backside of my forearm. Was that normal for you? Recklessly, I tried going out surfing last week and got worked because I couldn't push up or hold onto my board on the duck dive. After a couple of attempts, I knew it was safer for me and everyone else out there if I head back in. Any other tips for those healing both mentally and physically from an injury? Thanks for any wisdom. Bye. Hey, man, shit, that sucks. Radius and ulna. Sorry to hear that. I do have some techniques, some healing tricks up my sleeve because I've broken my radius and ulna many times. I first broke my left arm skateboarding derby, tried to do a big stale fish air when I was 16 years old, didn't land right, fell on my arm, came up, and my bone was sticking out of my skin. Whoa, that was weird. But that wasn't the only time that I broke my arm. Broke it again mountain biking when I was 21. That time was not a compound fracture, but I did snap my radius and ulna again. Had to get more plates put in my arm. Thought that was going to be the end of it. <laughs> not a chance. Went down to the Mike Fox Skate Park in Santa Cruz, California. Tried to do something, something skateboarding, uh, and came down wrong and broke my radius and ulna again. A third surgery. Hooray. Thought that might be the end of it. <laughs> but no, of course not. I need to go try kite surfing because I don't have enough shit to do in my life. So let's harness ourselves into a fucking rocket ship and hope for the best. Uh, got thrown across the beach kite surfing. Didn't know what I was doing. Almost died. Broke my right arm. Right arm was fine up until that point uh, and had to get surgery. I was down in Costa Rica. Funny thing, you get seen by a doctor much more quickly in Costa Rica than you do in American hospitals. Just saying. Anyway, I have not recovered fully from these injuries. Uh, to be totally honest, they are still um, hurt from time to time. That pain is greatly exacerbated when I drink alcohol, which is one of the reasons that I've cut it out of my life. Uh, anything to lower inflammation really helps with recovery and pain relief. A few things that you can do right now is put comfrey on your arm. This helps for new breaks. It helps for old breaks. There's a company, they don't sponsor this podcast, but I've used their products um, whenever I snap my arm, called Kawaii Organics. And the, the comfrey is a root. And it was... Um, it was introduced to me by the podcaster Ben Greenfield, who's this superhuman, super hacker dude, and he recommended using the paste and putting it on your break, and that can help promote 
bone growth. Another thing I would recommend is lots of swimming. Swimming will help strengthen the bone and the muscle around it, but there's a relatively low risk if you're in a pool doing laps. Obviously, surfing, your board can hit you. Doing push-ups might not be the best thing. But I think that to get back to full recovery, you need to, to be sore a lot. You want to push it just to that edge so that you're feeling that progress. You don't want to overdo it. Um, it's good to give yourself some time to rest. But recovering from an injury just straight up fucking hurts. And you got to push through that pain and do exercises that are not going to... Um, be hard impact. So lots of swimming. Final recommendation, get a wooden stick. Hold it in your hand that you broke and supinate your arm for 10 minutes a day. So that means turn your wrist over and back and over and back. And that twisting motion will help uh, flexibility in your bone and and muscle. Final, uh, Final recommendation, Find a really good rolfer. There's a rolfer that I've used in Santa Cruz. Happy to promote them. Um, call and their company or their their his business is called Midline Rolfing. And this guy was a straight up magician, healer, sorcerer. He got in and moved some of my fascia around. Rolfing is is just real deep tissue massage, and he did. A couple sessions on me and I gained maybe 20% more mobility after rolfing sessions. Those are my recommendations to you. Godspeed, my good brother. When you get after it, sometimes you take spills, but uh, hey, it's what happens and uh, you will get better. Just keep at it every day. All right. Um, What's going on, guys? I am out here in Colorado recording podcasts and jumping in the cold, icy rivers and just writing a lot. That's what I'm doing. And another thing that's really fun that we've been up to is starting this book club. So we're on the first month of it. The book that we're promoting this month is Denali by Ben Moon. He is a Patagonia adventure photographer. I had him on the show a few episodes back. And he wrote this great book. Um, I enjoyed it. It's a book that will get you, it'll make you want to buy a van and go on some fucking adventures. So that's why I, I dug it. And we're promoting it with Santa Cruz Medicinals CBD tincture. So I use this tincture before I go to sleep helps me with sore muscles, helps me with recovery, and we're pairing it. So you can buy both of these products on my website, kyle.surf, and you can then get it on a subscription basis. Every single month, I'll send you some new CBD, and I send you a new book that I love. So if you're if it's still May that you're listening to this, you can get Denali by Ben Moon. If it's in June, we're going to do Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim by David Sedaris, which is one of my all-time favorite books. It's hilarious. So if you want to get on that, if you want to get more reading in your life, and also if you want to get invited to this WhatsApp group message where we talk about the book, um, Ben's in there so he can answer questions for any of you. Um, yeah, it's something we're trying to do, and it's a great way to support the podcast and get more reading in your life. So you can head over to kyle.surf and check that out. Thank you also to the Nell Newman Foundation. They came on recently as a sponsor, and they were one of the primary funders of the Motherfucker Awards. 
Motherfucker Awards is a comedic awards show where we celebrate corporations that fuck Mother Earth. And this last year, we had Eddie Pepitone play Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and he knocked it out of the park. It was a chilling performance. So the Nell Newman Foundation supports bold, unpopular, iconoclastic ideas. And I would love for you to check out more of the work that they do. They support a lot of organizations that are working in regenerative agriculture, and they're supporting this podcast. So check out the Nell Newman Foundation in the description below. This episode of the podcast is with my man, Eddie Pepitone. They call him the Bitter Buddha. Eddie is a master of the dark art of comedy. He is hailed as a modern-day cross between Jackie Gleason, Don Rickles, and Eckhart Tolle. He's a very deep thinker. Eddie is a force of nature on stage, switching between social rage and self-doubt. His shows are an energetic combo of calm and chaos, blue-collar angst, and sardonic enlightenment. Few comedians working today channel the power of the rant better than Eddie Pepitone. Pepitone is a staple in Los Angeles comedy scene. He's known for his regular appearances on What the Fuck with Mark Maron and his sketch appearances on The Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Please, oh, also, the audio is a little weird in this podcast because I hadn't switched over to the new, the new program. So I apologize for that. Um, I think it's still listenable, but uh, everyone from this one on out, the audio is much better. Apologies. Eddie Pepitone made up for it with his hilarity and his insight, so please give it up for the great and powerful. Did I just do the, the Joe Rogan great and powerful? Fuck, I, I always try and stay away from, from saying little tropes that other podcasters do, but you slip into it. You slip into it. So give it up for the great and powerful Eddie Pepitone. How are you? I'm doing uh, as well as can be here in Santa Cruz, California. I've got some, right. some ducks in my backyard that have been laying nice. eggs. I've got some starters in the garden. I was thinking if you're a, a landscape architect, you're probably doing very well right now because gardens yeah. have been pushed from oh. the fringe into the, the main cultural milieu because everyone's afraid that veggies might not be at the store tomorrow. Is that right? Um, yes, I'm slaughtering my own uh, pigs now. I, I sneak up, I sneak up, I sneak up on them with piano wire, mm. and, you know, because I'm Sicilian, and I just, I just tighten, I, I, and I, and then I sell it to Beyond Burgers. <laughs> I have a friend in Hawaii who's a hunter and he married a traditional Laotian woman and to get married, the family requested mm -hmm. a dowry from my buddy who's a hunter. So he had to slaughter, <laughs> he had to slaughter, I think it was 20 goats and specifically get the goat bile because the Laotian family loves cooking with goat bile. So when he asked the father, to marry him, he presented it with a large jar of goat bile. 
I find that all disgusting because I'm vegan. And uh, I just find it so disgusting. <laughs> it's like it's like it's like the reason we're in this predicament is the abuse of animals uh, that goes on in Asia. You know their particular abuse. You know we have our own abuse with the with the factory farms, but what they do in Asia and in this time, you know, this time China is have those wet markets, and we're fucking. We, we have fucked with nature to the point where where we are now stalked by a virus. I learned a story recently that made me think of you. I think you'll appreciate mm-hmm. it. Uh, mm-hmm. this, is, this is a story that was in a book called Sex at Dawn that Chris Ryan wrote, who was uh, the co-host at the Motherfucker Awards this last year. But the story is that in the 1600s, oh, cool there were some Mm -hmm. French explorers who brought back um, from Brazil natives to show them their way of life, Um, obviously expecting that the natives would find the French and European way of living so much better than, uh, you know, the savagery that they were exposed to down in Brazil. And the famous essayist Montaigne, the French essayist, asked the natives, what was most surprising to them about the European way of life. And the natives said what was most surprising to them is that there were people who were so wealthy, they lived behind walls and palaces. Mm. And at the same time, there were people so poor, they were starving outside their doorstep. And yet the poor people didn't burn down the palaces. That was so strange to them. They couldn't figure out... (laughs) how people would put up well that's a great that that's a great story to tell right now because i really believe that uh it's time to uh burn down the palaces you know quote unquote you know um america and and this you know america before the pandemic was in horrible horrible shape you know half the country in dire poverty and now with the pandemic uh not only all the you know not only that the virus attacks the poor unjustly you know more poor people are dying all over the country uh than people who have a little access to healthcare, but everything's been exacerbated i don't know how it's going to play out but it looks like it's gonna be dicey (laughs) you know yeah if we don't really stomp this landing and get the economy back on track i think that it's going to make people uncomfortable enough that you're going to see serious civil Mm -hmm. unrest um the kind that we haven't seen for a long time i know right because um there's so many factors at play you know the fact that people are in a very stressful state, you know, and, you know, the supply chains now are going to be threatened. And I, I just, you know, I, I think it, it could get nasty. And, and if, you know, our, uh, our fearless leaders are bailing out, and this is why I think that was a great story about burning down the richest palace, because, they, because they're bailing out again. They're battling out, 
you know, cruise lines and airlines, and they're they're throwing people who have direct deposit, which isn't everybody, twelve. I, I just think that's hilarious. Twelve hundred dollars, you know, twelve hundred dollars is a trip to Whole Foods. I was uh, listening to a recent podcast that you did from the bunker, and you were talking about yeah. how if comedy comes back, people will um, maybe talk mm -hmm. about this pandemic and certain things that they had to go through, but how you expect that very quickly comics will just go back to talking about the same old awkward yeah. situations with dating and yeah. be a kind of gaslighting mm -hmm. and normalcy that comes back as, as quickly as possible. Um, yeah. And I don't yeah. see, I've never seen you do that. Um, you, like every time I've seen your comedy, you take a really mm -hmm. huge issue and try and make light at it. One, one that is almost so big, it is invisible. Um, has that yeah. always been the case for you? Where does your interest in taking on some of these just large questions come from? Well, well, I have always been extremely um, anti-authoritarian, and I've always and and I think I've always looked for an enemy. I've always, you know, I, I, or a cause to fight, you know, because I'm not the type of comic who gets up there. Um, with one-liners, you know, my whole reason for being on stage is it's this catharsis. It's this catharsis for me. It's like me trying to get to uh, the truth of, of who I am. And um, part of that is being, you know, a lot of that when I was a younger comic was getting to the truth of what my relationship was with my family and and how I was really kind of just being what my dad wanted. You know, that was an authoritarian guy and I was kind of just pleasing him. And then as I got older, I started uh, trying to figure out who the fuck I was in this society and then breaking down the society. And my dad was a union leader. So I always had this like uh, view of um, uh, looking uh, at America as a real class, a real class system. And um, I don't think Americans do that. I think they're starting to now. Uh, it's like they have to, you know, uh, you know, the middle class is almost gone. They, I mean, there's, it, it's in their faces now. But I mean, I was always geared to that. And Americans as well are just not that inherently political because for a long time, I think we, we had it, we were comfortable, a, a lot of us anyway, were comfortable, you know, and um, we didn't need to be political, you know? We were just hanging out, kind of having fun. And I, I think particularly this pandemic might might be the big wake-up call. I mean, other people are saying that people are just going to go back to, to the shit as soon as they can, you know. But people have to realize that the climate breakdown, you know, our relationship with you is 
is is really what this is about and the climate breakdown isn't going to get better you know you know what's hard as a comedian uh to talk about this is that it's very bleak (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it it like it's 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 very bleak and, and and like you know I, one of the bits, as I say, folks with the rea- – and this is before the pandemic. I was saying, folks, I think uh, they should shut down the comedy clubs and open up tragedy clubs because we are living in tragic times. And it just being like, you know, and the name of the clubs are like, no, no, no. Hey, you're going to no, no, no tonight. <laughs> and and the way the tragedy tri- – Instead of a comedian, it's a tragedy, and he he gets on stage and he's like, "Good evening, folks. Um, I had to drown one of my children because I couldn't afford food. Thank you. These are the tragedies, folks. These are the tragedies. Get with them." Yeah, <laughs> I was doing that before this thing. Well, people take ideas now that serve their their beliefs. I think that that's one of the reasons why um, mm. self-help has become so popular, these little tricks and tactics that can make your life better in incremental ways because it makes you feel like you have some some kind of control over your life if you enact a new habit that's mm. going to make your life better incrementally. And I think right. that in, in some ways that's an empowering way to look at life because you're taking control over it and you realize that there is always a decision that you can make amidst right. this bleak situation. But if you don't right. step back far enough and you don't really let a stat like, oh, the 26 richest people in the world have more wealth than the bottom 50%. Yeah, exactly. To, to, exactly. Sit, to sit with that fact is to, it is almost like saying a hundred billion light years away. It ju- it barely means anything to us beca- because of the, almost like the malware in our brains can't take that into account. And I think that what what you do again and again is try and get an idea like that into someone's brain through using comedy. Yeah, what's hilarious is that um, I will do like stuff like that. Just just picture this: it's a Saturday night. Uh, I'm I'm performing at the comedy store. There's all these young, happy faces of attractive people, and I come on saying. Hey, folks, uh, you know, the world is ending, right? So a lot of times what I'll, what I'll do is I'll make fun of myself and do, you know, do some like, like other material and then get into that. So like I kind of win them over, you know what I mean? <clears throat> instead of, um, instead of coming right out there. But sometimes, sometimes I'm just in a mood. I'm just, like I'll, like I'll watch other comics and they're just fucking talking about, you know, uh, you know, how funny it is to shit your pants while you're on a date. Like they do shit like, and, and I just, I just have to get up there and talk about, Hey, have any of the comics talked about the fact that there's a hundred species going extinct every day? Any, has any, have any of the other comics talked about that yet? 
<laughs> and they'll look at me like, what the fuck are you talking about? But, you know, that's an interesting point about that we can't take in the fact that 26 people own, you know, more than the bottom 80 percent. 50 percent. And I think the reason why Americans can't take that in is that they buy all they have bought hook, hook, line and sinker, all the propaganda about the American dream, you know, about how free they are, because, you know, I mean, the great comics who pointed this out are George Carlin, who said you have to be asleep. The why they call it the American dream is because you have to be asleep to believe in it. You know, um, Carlin was amazing. And he talked about all this fucking stuff. He even said, oh, save the planet, save the planet. He goes, the planet will be fine once we sh- once the planet shakes off the human virus, you know. When you live an entire life that has been um, kind of bludgeoned by advertising that has that is constantly trying to direct you towards the superficial things in life, it can be very difficult to maintain that kind of yeah. perspective. And especially when advertisers will um, position themselves as patriots and they will tell you that you're patriotic if you buy that product. Um, and one thought that was really helpful for me was um, in a, a documentary called the Requiem for an American Dream. It's a series of interviews with Noam Chomsky. And, and he talks about how advertisers are propaganda machines and their whole goal is to get you to have an externalized sense of self-worth and how advertisers will always take profits over national allegiance even though they always try and make it seem like they're american one story i love to tell is how in uh nazi germany coca-cola could no longer sell their coca-cola to nazis so they created fanta orange which was the drink of hitler Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hitler says, drink Fanta. Hello, when I when I am controlling most of the German population and I get a thirst after invading Poland, Fanta Orange is my drink of choice. <laughs> Fanta Orange and meth. <laughs> Meth. Did he do meth? <laughs> a lot of Nazis were on meth at the time. But you, what you're hitting, let me just, let me just say what you're hitting on now. Uh, and Chomsky talks about this more than any of anybody. He says that uh, America has the best propaganda machine of any country on earth. It makes the old Soviet Union look at us look at us with envy. And that propaganda machine is all this corporate fucking bullshit that gets thrown at us all the fucking time. You know, sometimes I'm driving here in Hollywood, not to brag, I have that kind of lifestyle, but I'm driving here in Hollywood and I can't think my own thoughts because my mind is hit with billboards constantly, constantly. 
I think that one of the most dangerous um, forms of propaganda that I grew up with is this term that it's the idea that if you challenge concentrations of power, then you're somehow anti-American. And I learned that the term anti-American is actually an old Soviet term in um, the Soviet Union uh, anti-Soviets were um, that they would call people anti-Soviets who are challenging that power structure. Same in the Brazilian dictatorship, people who are challenging that concentration of power were called anti-Brazilian. And now I, right. I think that it's a very effective way to get people to, to um, maintain a docile public when they're afraid of being called unpatriotic or anti-American when they challenge that power? Well, the, the word that, that, that is the word of choice now uh, among the uh, powerful is terrorist. And for instance, you're a terrorist, you're an eco-terrorist if you, uh, you know, happen to think that you shouldn't uh, cut down the rainforest to graze cattle, you know? You're, you, they, they slap the word terrorist now onto any kind of um, protest. Hmm. Yeah. As a comedian, how have you noticed the rhetoric and ways that politicians speak change? Um, because you put so mm -hmm. much thought and effort into conveying an idea in an effective and surprising way. And I mean, I'm a, I'm fairly new to comedy, but I've noticed that even in the presidential mm -hmm. debates over the last couple of years, they've become more like roast battles. And Trump has oh. become so effective well, because he's the funniest one. Yes, yes. Well, do you know? Do you know that Trump? Uh, worked for the WWE, the World Wide Wrestling Federation. No. Do you know that? Yes. He worked for Vince McMahon. He was on that network. You can Google it. There are there are videos of Trump hitting someone with a chair as part of uh, the, the wrestling thing with McMahon. I mean, I never got into wrestling. At most, I like to cuddle. Um, but... <laughs> but anyway, Trump is and and one of the techniques in the wrestling world is to call, you know, is to have a nickname for everybody, a derogatory nickname like and and Trump did this very well in the debates like he called uh, you know, little uh, little Mark, little Marco, Marco Rubio, little Marco. <laughs> and uh, he's already started in on Biden. He calls him Sleepy Joe which I find hilarious. I have to admit, as abhorrent as Trump is, um, you know, because first of all, I believe the, the American political system is, is, it's just in such a shambles. You know, the fact that Trump, this fucking, you know, uh, renowned racist, rapist, sexist, you know, billionaire uh, reality star got elected. I mean, what a shambles it, it's in. 
And what he does is tap into the anger of the average American who's getting fucked by the system, which includes, you know, the, the corporate Democrats, you know, and he just he he taps into their anger and comes off like an outsider, you know. And he's not an outsider, but he comes off like he's an outsider and he attacks them with, you know, with fucking names, mocking their behavior. So he has made it, he has made it meaner, um, you know, like he's taken political discourse down a few notches and the meanness that people feel in their lives at least has an outlet in trump's meanness you know what i mean yeah he also recognizes that a lot of people don't want to think that hard so he doesn't expect them to other politicians expect the best from their population and they expect that they're going to be able to take a thought from beginning to end when they don't Mm. realize that our education system is shot and most people Mm -hmm you know, get information in these little 15 and 30 second ideas. So we're not very good at critical thinking anymore. Yeah, that's true. And I think also um, it's just the fact that uh, people are so busy trying to survive or, or get high. Like, because life is so brutal, they just want to fucking check out and when you're high as a kite you're not really that interested in following you know a long kind of you know crazy thought you're you're more likely to go right to conspiracy theory (laughs) those are fun when you're high right conspiracy theories like oh yeah 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 mars used to be populated there was a nuclear war on mars yeah 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 Yeah, you know what i mean i do I do very much. There was a podcast that I listened to recently with um, a professor from the University of Chicago who studies conspiracy theories and what makes certain people have proclivities towards conspiracy theories. And he mm-hmm. found out that um, there's actually two different types of thinkers. There's rationalists and intuitionists. And intuitionists mm. tend to be more likely to believe conspiracies. And you, he could even do tests with this. So one example is um, he would ask people questions like, would you rather sleep a night at a bus station or sleep a night in a hotel room where a family was once murdered? And but de- depending on their answer, if they would <laughs> rather, if they would rather take the the intuition feeling of not uh, wanting to be in this icky feeling room where a family was murdered, they would rather have the the real um, you know suffering of sleeping out in the cold. They're more yeah. likely to believe in a, a conspiracy theory. Is that but, right? Yeah. They're more likely to believe in a conspiracy theory? If they're oh, because they're to sleep in a room, to sleep in a room where people were murdered means you think that room is inhabited with evil, which is like kind of an intuitionist type of thing. 
Exactly. Yeah. And I'm obviously painting a really broad stroke here with conspiracy theory. I think that that's kind of, I don't even like using that term because I think it's Mm -hmm. sort of lazy in the same way that anti-American is lazy and we don't have, we don't have enough time to go down all of the conspiracy roads. But one thing that I did want to get your perspective on is given how advertising Mm -hmm. works, Mm how it plays to mm-hmm. our own feelings yeah. of inadequacy. Once we get out of this quarantine, how do you think advertising will shift to try and get us to right. products? Well, I don't think they're going to have to do much because what they're going to play on is that everybody's been cooped up. And I think what advertisers are going to Two is not much different, but it's going to be even more intense. They're going to be saying, it's time to party. You've been cooped up because of that goddamn COVID-19 virus. Well, that virus has been beaten by American know-how and American superiority and the American spirit. And what better way to celebrate than get hammered and and buy a new fucking car and drive up the PCH and then pull in to a bar and get hammered some more and then go shopping. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that's going to be uh, the, the direction is like, it's time to spend, you know, and they're going to even make it like, I don't know if you remember 9-11, but uh bush and those guys if i think it was like two weeks after 9 11 we're saying hey it's american to go out and shop let's get back to our lives you know what i mean and it's gonna be they're just gonna go you see capitalism capitalism doesn't know any other way any other solutions than to consume and it is consuming right to our deaths like seriously right to our deaths you know what i mean like um i also find you know what i find it very disturbing about capitalism as a guy who's overweight is that it's there's such a mixed message it's like you know consume 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 and that includes food right but also look great look great look great Workout, workout, consume, 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 workout. It's a real binge and purge type of thing. And it creates some kind of schizophrenia, I feel like. Mm. You know, like look great, but consume. Look hot, but eat that fucking triple whopper burger at Carl's Jr. You know what I mean? I do. I would I would even argue that we're not in a truly capitalist society right now, though, because mm. We live in a socialist country for the rich. If we lived in a truly, truly capitalist society, cruise ships, uh, the cruise ship industry would not be getting bailed out. The airline industry mm. would not be getting bailed out. All these industries that have that have run right. aren't, a- aren't adding a ton of value to society would that's, fail. That's very true. Uh, that's very I, true. I think that the opportunity with this pandemic is that culture in many ways has been wiped clean there's this clean slate that we've never experienced before i went riding my bike down across town yesterday and there was Mm -hmm. no one around 
the only people that were walking out on the street had masks and they were few and far between. And it was mm -hmm. like I was in that movie, uh, I Am Legend with Will Smith, uh, where he's walking around New York and there's no one around because this, this pandemic turned people into zombies and he's the only one with the antibodies. It was- Was it a pandemic in that movie? Uh, I don't know if it was a pandemic, but something turned people into zombies mm -hmm. or killed them. And Will Smith is the only one who, who can survive. Right. Well, Will Smith is a, is a very good actor. And, I, and, and he's, <laughs> he's got great abs. The, the COVID-19. He's got great abs. He's or zombie abs. apocalypse. None of that's going to take Will Smith down. But I wonder if people will, yeah. if there will be aspects to our culture that we can leave behind that weren't serving us? And will there be aspects to our culture, you know, that we realize we sorely need more of, like art and like human connection? We've all had these insights mm. during this time. It's just a matter of whether or not we remember them. Yeah, well, you know, I guess we will see you know, first of all, uh, like, I, I'm not optimistic about what they're talking about, how to get out of this. Like, they, they want to, of course, you know, start doing business. Um, and uh, how do you do it without a vaccine? You, you know, because the flat risk are still going to, you know, um, you know, how do you do that? They're, they're talking about, yeah, they are talking about people with antibodies and testing and contact tracing. It's going to be a long haul and it's going to be, it, it's going to be, it's going to be tricky. And, and um, yeah, maybe the good that'll come out of this is that people will see that there's a lot in life that is so fucking unnecessary, i.e. all this wasteful consumption, you know? Um, I, speaking of Noam Chomsky, he said the 2020 election in the United States is the most important election ever in the history of civilization because if Trump gets another four years, Trump and his, uh, you know, minions, it'll, it, it just might be the end of our, of our civilization. I mean, that's how, that's how serious, uh, you know, he says it is, whereas Biden, who is a corporate Democrat, you know, and not really a big, um, you know, uh, force for change, at least, you know, there'll be, there'll be people around him who are more uh, open to uh, better, better things than a guy like Trump, you know? My favorite comedian is Neil Brennan, and he has a joke where he says, so to those of you- Oh, why don't you get Neil Brennan then? Why don't you get Neil Brennan then? <laughs> My second favorite comedian, I mean. <laughs> Boy, you fucked up there. Oh, I know. No, he's a, he's a really good comedian. He has a joke. He's a good comedian, and he's yep. vegan too, which I like. He has a joke where he says, uh, so to all you who thought that it didn't matter who the president was, turns out you were a million fucking percent wrong oh, about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. He so, goes, I just, yeah, I, if it's the bit I'm thinking of, he goes, I just want to, you will, you people were like, I just want to shake it up a little. I just want to shake, shake it up a little. Yeah. That's like, and he said, that's like going into a car mechanic and saying, just take out my front end. Yeah. And then he finishes it by saying, right? I don't know anything about cars or politics. <laughs> so here's a, a question for you. I got you. Yeah. For- for a few more minutes, I liked the riff that you mm-hmm. went on about how mm-hmm. advertisers direct us towards the superficial things in life. Um, I have right. this crazy belief that activists are the ones historically who have created the rights that we enjoy today. It was activists that got us weekends. It's activists, you know, in the very early days uh, who got us freedom of speech. Um, and I think that if we could create a culture of of activism that worked to um, distribute power among the many and activists that work to fight for democracy, um, how would you advertise that to the public? If you were an mm-hmm. advertising firm and you wanted to make that something that people were drawn to, how would you sell that message? Um, I think that message sells itself. Uh, now, uh, Bernie Sanders was kind of promoting that, was he not? I mean, his campaign was kind of saying, look, we, we all need health care, you know, Medicare for all, you know, let's relieve students of college debt. Now, what happened was that there was a big pushback. Um, on that because, you know, all the corporate guys, the big pharma, you know, big pharma did not want any part of, you know, Medicare, Medicare for all uh, and Bernie's whole thing of forgiving debt, you know, the banks didn't want. So they, they have, you know, corporate America has these other, um, you know, most politicians, 99% of them bought and paid for. So they push back against uh, Sanders. What it's going to take and what's interesting is it's going to take people to be organized. People, you know, it's not so much an advertising thing. It's like just talking to other people about, you know, we we can't live like this anymore how you advertise it is you know say you know look at what happened and and and, well actually i don't know (laughs) i appreciate you taking a step (laughs) no (laughs) no i'm just thinking like like what would be funny is like trying to advertise for a better life the way corporate America just advertises some stupid product like Snickers. Like, like let's say it's Snickers, but Snickers now wants to get go radically to the left and would be like, hey, hey, you've just spent a long day organizing your fellow man to stop consuming a lot of different things and to stop all the endless wars. I mean, we spend like a trillion dollars a day on the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq and Libya. Why not have a Snickers? You deserve it because organizing people is not easy. Most people 
hang up on you when you called. Hey, let's stop the wars in Afghanistan. Click. Have a Snickers. You deserve it. <laughs> so I don't know how you would like people just have to see that this is not working anymore. How did you, Kyle, I probably asked you this, but how did you uh, see through all this bullshit? Were you raised like by pretty hip parents? I was raised by hip parents. Um, my mom and dad are documentary filmmakers and, ah, there you and go. activists for a while. And mm. I've, <clears throat> I think that beyond that, I have felt um, a deep sense of dis-ease in life. Mm. Uh, and oh, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's strange because I also, um, you know, like, you know, get paid to surf and get, and I'm able to go around to oh, the most right. exotic, beautiful places in the world. And the whole surf industry, more than most, is just built on selling a dream and selling board shorts. But when I would go to these places in developing countries where the waves are really good, I would also see the reality between the hotel and the wave. Um, and I always just oh, yeah. found that story to be so much more interesting than someone going out and riding a wave. And I always ha had the belief too that you could tie you could tie pretty much any story today back to yourself in this globalized economy. You know, you you could go out and surf yeah. a wave in Sri Lanka and you could tell a story about textile factories and where your clothes were getting made. You know, you could go into, you could go to Hawaii and surf a perfect wave there. And you look into shore and you see GMO crops as far as the eye can see, which are going to be, you know, shipped off to Iowa and then grown as corn and then fed to uh, cattle, which then you're going to consume. So I, I always just thought that it was so fun to follow those stories, um, mm -hmm. you know, follow that river well, all the way upstream. Well, yeah, that's what your parents did, right? Because that's what documentarians do. They like really follow a story because documentaries right now, I mean, I can't get enough of that. You know, um, I just, you know, I love that Netflix has a lot of them, you know, um, there's a great show on Netflix now. I think it's called Dirty Money. Mm. And it's, have you seen it? It's, it's, no, I've heard it's, of it. They'll do Jared Kushner and his real estate holdings and how brutal uh, his company is to the average Joe, just fucking, they, they terrorize tenants by doing construction 24 seven and driving them out and, you know, hounding them in court. And then the next show will be about the origin of um, how uh, drug traffickers launder their money in the United States through dirty gold, like gold that is illegally mined in Peru Oh, anyway, that show, Dirty Money, is um, a great doc show, too. But also what I want to say is that you traveled, and that's a big eye-opener. You know, when you travel around the world, most Americans don't even have a fucking passport. Yeah, good education is a global education. 
Yeah. 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 Well, I, um, I really appreciate you performing at the motherfucker awards as yeah, well fun. as, uh, you taking on these big issues because I, I love comedy for the reason that life can just get so fucking serious from time to time yeah. and you just need to be a silly goose and laugh it off. But I also think that it's one of the most important mediums for communication. Um, and I think it's very cool that you boldly go into the fray and take on these issues that so many comedians yeah. are terrified to. I do it more than Neil Brennan. <laughs> you too. <laughs> <laughs> Neil Brennan's talking about dating. Uh, Neil Brennan actually has very thoughtful. Social, no, he's good. He's good. Critique. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. He does. He does. He's an amazing writer. He's almost well, as good as you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's a, he's a better writer. Uh, but thanks for having me, man. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, Kyle. Uh, it was great to do the motherfucker awards this year. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Where can people check out your stuff? Uh, well, every day through this pandemic, I'm doing um, uh, live from the bunker on Instagram live. So four o'clock Pacific time uh, on Instagram live. And I have really good guests on every day. And then you can check me out. Just go to eddiepepitone.com and it links to all my social media. I'll link to it all yeah. below. And uh, when this is all over, I'd love to take you out to lunch sometime. Absolutely. Absolutely, Kyle. Thank you. Thank you. That's our show. I'm going to play you a song called Vision by Kevin Craft and the Crafters. And I will link to their band page in the show notes below. If you are a musician and you want your music played at the end of this podcast, you can email it to info at kyle.surf. Info at kyle.surf is also where you can send those voice memos. Just record on your phone where you are, who you are, some details about your surroundings. Email it to info at kyle.surf and I would love to play it on the podcast. Kyle.surf is where you can also... Sign up for my box of goodies. Everyone needs to read more. And if you want to come along with us on this literary journey, you can sign up for it. You get a Santa Cruz Medicinals CBD tincture along with a book that I love. And you get included in this little WhatsApp group message where people in the book club talk about that book. We've got Ben Moon, the author of Denali, in that WhatsApp message. Uh, so you can ask him questions. Pretty, pretty darn sweet. Um, Kyle.surf is where you can check all of that out. And thank you once again to Santa Cruz Medicinals for sponsoring each and every one of these podcasts. You can head over to scmedicinals.com, check out all of their products, type in the code name KYLE10, get 10% off any order. Also, thank you very much to the Nell Newman Foundation for supporting bold, unpopular, and iconoclastic ideas. Check out the Nell Newman Foundation in the description below. That's it for now. Hope you all have a wonderful day, wonderful week, wonderful life. And please sit back, relax, and enjoy this song called Vision by Kevin Craft and the Crafters. Beautiful thing I saw inside your eye Told me what I could be Let me collect my thoughts, I know they're mine, even though I can't see. You've got a vision, you better listen. Hey.
was true wisdom Born of the rhythm, paint my system My people listen, time to unpack you Take all of the time to react to All of what I rap to Is a way to collapse you And make way for the love to unwrap you Back home, where the heart come from Same song, where all the pain come from Got love, stop making fun of it Respect the heart where the spirit live I can see a point in time Where we step into a place in the mind People living, limitless existence Temple born of the way to uplifting Won't you paint with me? Create what we might see Can you feel the lyrics? You got a vision You better listen you sail with me so we can know that we're free I love the humans as one our lives have just begun you got a vision you better listen <laughs> 